That's where Paunchy came from. And I'm Paunchy, so that's the... Doesn't wash. (laughs) Is it on? Look, I'm going to shirt front, Mr Putin. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. No, wait, it it is on? Uh, You bet you are. Uh, You bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Well, may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. Hello and welcome to Is It On's Budget Preview episode. That's right, it's episode eight. I'm Alice Workman and I'm in Canberra. Joining me from Sydney is Mark Stefano. Mark, welcome to the Budget Preview. Dun, it's dun. a very exciting time. It's such an exciting time. And, and our Nick producer is sitting next to me and he's looking at me saying, make sure that you warn everyone that it's going to be a bit echoey on this podcast because we've got construction going on in our office at the moment. So we're squirreled away in a boardroom trying to make sure that it doesn't sound too bad for all our listeners out there. So if you do pick up on people walking past the corridor outside, listening into our politics podcast, you'll know what it is. But Alice... It's very has exciting. Budget, Mark's, Mark's gotten a giant new office tree. and I'm still sitting in a cupboard without windows. It's pretty, it's right. pretty these great. Are, these are the sacrifices. <laughs> these are the sacrifices. You live in Canberra. You get to be close to power. I live in Sydney in a beautiful new office that's still under construction. But I should ask Alice, yes. the budget tree. Can ah. you explain to the listeners what the budget tree is doing and, and what's happening at the moment? Absolutely. Uh, there are a number of beautiful uh, trees in in the courtyards of Parliament House and there's one that's been anointed the budget tree because uh, when it turns into autumn, which is the time of year it is it is now, it's a bit cold. Canberra's inland so it's a bit it gets a bit colder than uh, than Sydney and some of the, the other areas of the East Coast. And when autumn comes, it's a signal that the trees all change colour and the budget, which is due in May, uh, is going to be handed down. So the tree changes very slowly from green into this beautiful bright red colour. And the tree, Mark, is looking mm-hmm. nearly ripe. The tree is nearly ready to go. It's very exciting. That's really exciting. And also, if you are excited about the budget tree, we'll make sure we post oh, a I'll picture post some pictures. of it. Go yeah, I think it's a good idea. I just think, Go to my Twitter account. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, what do we got on this week's budget preview podcast, Alice? All right, well, we're going to break down exactly what we know one week out from the federal budget so far. What's in it? What's out of it? Also, Gallery Whispers is back. Gallery Whispers is back. <laughs> and we're also going to chat to the country's shadow treasurer, Chris Bowen, a.k.a. Sebo, a.k.a. Mark's paunch nemesis. But we will get to that Whoa. a little bit later. First... Federal budget is on next week. That's May 9. Uh, it's known in my household as the Economist wet dream, uh, the budget. Oh, that's a little <laughs> bit uh, too ingrill. And there's, uh, there's a lot of speculation that happens around this time of year. What's in, what's out. So we thought we'd do a fast five of things we definitely five, know are going to be in five. this year's federal budget. Mark, you're going to kick us off. What is number one? Okay, number one is good debt versus bad debt. We came up in a speech that Scott Morrison gave a couple of weeks ago. The reason why this is interesting is because for so long, liberals have been talking about that Labor 
um, have been, you know, leading the government towards a debt and deficit disaster. Now there is good debt, which the treasurer is talking about capital expenditure, stuff that's spent on things like infrastructure. It's you spend it once and bam, you get a road or a rail line. And then there's things called bad debt, which is recurrent expenditure. So it's something that's spent every single year. So things like education and welfare spending. How long I've got? I've got 20 more seconds. Now, economists love this because it's essentially training people's minds to think that you can actually uh, spend money um, deficit, well, use deficit spending to your advantage during times of low interest rates, which is what we've got at the moment. And when you have low interest rates, you want to end up with actually some assets the government has built. And at the moment, we haven't built a lot. Oh, that's, that's us done. So Alice, what's number two? Good debt and bad debt is also known as how to cheat a budget. Okay, so number two, Whoa. you know what is good debt? Infrastructure spending. And after years and years and years and years, literally since 1940, I'm not exaggerating, the federal government has finally announced it's going to build Sydney's second airport at Badgerys Creek in far western Sydney. So it'll cost $6 billion. Um, we don't really know many of the details yet, uh, but work will start on it next year. It should be up and running by late 2026. It's expected to cater for around 10 million passengers each year, and there's probably going to be some light rail train thing that's going to meet up with it. So $600 million a year to build this thing. Take 10 years. It'll be an airport. Yay, yay for Sydney. Yeah, and also Sydney Airport Corporation that actually runs the current airport decided to pass on building it. So it's left the government to build it itself, which is interesting because now the government has to break up the monopoly of the Sydney Airport Corporation. That's like really interesting because that's what leads to really crappy practices at the Sydney Airport. Yeah. Heaps. And uh, we're number up three. to number three. Mark, number three. Okay, so number, number three, three was the surprise school announcement on Tuesday. This was really shocking because we're all sitting in this press conference not knowing what was about to happen. And there was a third pillar or third podium. And everyone was like, who's this going to be? We know one's going to be Simon Birmingham. One's going to be Malcolm Turnbull. And in walks David Gonski. Now, David Gonski has been around education funding chatter for years, he's the guy that did the review into education funding for Labor, and he said that we need needs at uh, needs-based funding. And the long and the short of that is the fact that uh, the money should go where the student goes. So if a student, say, has special needs and leaves a school, what well, the funding goes with them. And over the last six years, there's been this fight between the states and the federal government, and the unions have been using Gonski as their go-to, as a short form to say that we need more money and needs-based funding. Malcolm Turnbull plays a trump card this week, says, we've got Gonski, he's on our side, and he's going to do a review on his previous review, and some private schools are going to get their funding cut, so Catholic schools are pissed off. Okay, that's that's me. Number four, number four, Alice. What's number, number four? four universities. Five? We not only got a schools announcement this week, we got a university one. And Mark, after nearly two years without a higher education policy, the government have finally announced what they're doing. We've got no fee deregulation and the 20% funding cut is gone. Instead, uni fees are going to go up by 7.5% over the next four Huge. years. So that Huge. means that's a couple of extra thousand bucks on the cost of your degree. A four-year degree will be the most it could cost is 50K and the most expensive degree is a six-year med degree and that's going to be 75K. And not only will it cost more to go to uni, students will have to pay their loans back sooner once they graduate and start earning $42,000 a year. And the more you earn each year, the more you'll have to pay back. So if you're earning around 80K and you've got a $50,000 degree debt, that's $3,500 a year. But if you start earning like 100K... Mm. That's 10% a year. That's 5000 a year you've got to pay back. And students will also be paying for a bigger chunk of their degree. At the moment, they pay 42%. Taxpayers fund the other 58 Well, it's changing slightly. Students will pay 46% of their degree. Taxpayers will fund 54 Three, two, So it's going to save the government about a billion dollars. And Mark, 
Good luck saving for a house deposit if you're paying back all the hex debts. Which leads into our fifth fast five. Press start on the next minute. Uh, Nicholas, uh, housing affordability. Now, it is the crisis that every one of our audience already knows about because we talk about it all the, all the time. Housing affordability uh, expectations have been raised so high, but Scott Morrison has been trying to pour heaps of buckets of cold water on all the speculation over the last couple of weeks. There's Remember that insane plan that would have allowed young people to use their superannuation to get oh, a po- deposit? Do you remember crazy. this? It's just crazy. absolutely berserk. Anyway, that that's pretty much Gonski now. M- uh, Matthias Corman has said week, a few weeks ago, no, nah, we're not going to do that. But the Australian has been reporting on one, one interesting thing that could come up on Tuesday, which is giving tax incentives to older people to downsize their family home, basically saying to an older person, you know, you've got those big family homes that all your family have left the nest. Well, if you sell it and go to a smaller unit, we'll make sure you're looked after with tax incentives. So it is going to be a huge issue next week. Um, but of course, they're always making sure that the boomers are the ones that are looked after. And that is our fast five. Congratulations, yeah, is, Alice. Isn't it just so great that young people are, have been accused of not paying their fair share of all that debt racked up by boomers? <laughs> yeah, I just love it because... There's like this thread that goes through all of our fast five, which is making sure that we can find savings in the budget, but where are we going to make find those savings? Well, why don't we actually charge young people um, and not touch some of the excesses in the system on the investors and the older people who have the homes? The government could do so many things and so often when they're, uh, you know, given an option to hit young people or older people, they hit the young because, you know, they hate us. So we already know that. We've known that for ages. Do you have any um, hot tips of, of things that you think might be in the budget that we haven't got confirmed yet? I think that there's going to be a big health announcement in the next few days um, Ooh, ahead you, of the budget. We've, we've gotten a new health minister this year, so we could get a new health announcement. Mm, mm, I think there'll be something on health, and I think there'll be a huge thing on the gas issue, um, which is not that interesting, I guess, to our listeners, but is a huge problem that Malcolm Turnbull has tackled head on. So there'll be stuff around gas reservations and trying to make sure that gas companies are, are, are keeping some of that sweet, sweet... LNG onshore. Um, I think it'll be. Um, I think that there will be um, uh, interest around the deficit levy and tax cuts as well. There's always some sort of tax cut that the government is going to try to bring companies. into people's attention. Yeah. So I think that um, the oh, I mean, company tax cuts. We haven't even speak, spoken about that. The company tax cuts are they going to be uh, baked into the books for the next forward estimates? Not just the ones that have passed the parliament. Are they going to keep those big company tax cuts on the boil? I mean it. There's so much to talk about. It's the budget. There's it's so much to the, talk about. It's 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 a wet dream for everyone in Canberra. Yeah, and everyone is a nerd. Do you want to know my my nerdy budget tip? Okay. Yes. De- deficit pick twenty eight billion, and uh, okay. my my other my other hot tip. Uh, they're going to mm-hmm. say that they are close to a budget surplus, so they're going to say they're on track to get a budget surplus in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty, based on the use of good debt bad debt split. So they're going to do what the states do and split the budget between operating and capital outlays. So that's my tip. That's so sneaky. He's going to, it's so sneaky. They're going to announce all this money and then say, don't worry, guys, we are on track for that surplus. Mark Stefano, avid listeners of this podcast know that you have... Do we have avid listeners? That you, people, people who have, have, have listened to this podcast while they've been busy <laughs> doing more important things may have heard something about you and our next guest... In Gallery Whispers a few weeks ago with Ed Husick. I'm talking about Labor Shadow Treasurer Chris Bowen. 
the man that you are in a paunch off with, would you mm. like to catch everyone up on your okay. feud with potentially the man who could become Australia's next treasurer? I have a weird theory, and if you can just stay with me for 30 seconds. I think that men who are body comfortable and are throwing around a bit of paunch are quite sexy. I think you can have two you can have you can have two body types as a man. You can be paunchy or you can be shredded. And if you're a bit paunchy but a body comfortable, you know, wearing tight t-shirts but like rocking it, I think it's fine. And one time I said that Chris Bowen, the Shadow Treasurer, looked a little bit paunchy and I mentioned that to Ed Husick and Ed Husick told Chris Bowen and Chris Bowen did not appreciate being called paunchy. And this is for anyone that doesn't know, a so, paunch is a stomach. Like a, it means a gut. Yeah, like yeah. a little paunchy, a little paunchy stomach. Okay, well, here's Mark's chat. With, like I'm uh, paunchy, <laughs> I'm paunchy, and Nick Ray is shredded. <laughs> yeah, guys, Google Nicholas Ray. He's pretty shredded. Um, uh, you can also find some pictures of him in a wet t-shirt from when he was in Clear the Bachelor. So Clear here Bachelor is uh, Mark's chat with Labor's shadow treasurer, Chris Bowen. <laughs> We're here with Chris Bowen, the Shadow Treasurer uh, for the Labor Party. Chris, thank you so much for joining Is It On? It's a great pleasure. Um, first of all, uh, can you talk us through this whole good debt, bad debt situation mm. that Scott Morrison brought up last week and going into the budget? I think it means we're going to see a very different budget next week. Well, the team that brought you the debt and deficit disaster, remember that, now say some debt's good. Now, it's not the worst concept in the world. In fact... You, know, we, we, you guys have supported Yeah, that's right. It's how you do it. Really, when you look closely at what he announced, he, those figures are already in the budget. He announced he'd sort of put them in the budget a bit earlier in the paperwork, you know. Um, so that's really not a major reform to write home about. Um, but the idea is that investment in infrastructure is good. And so you should have some sort of idea in the budget how much is going on infrastructure and capital works and how much is going on recurrent or just, you know, what's going out the door every day in, in the budget. And that's, that's reasonable. But we say on our side of politics, though, well, investment is not necessarily capital. You can invest in people through the health system. You can invest in young people through education. This is important investment for the future as well. So it's not just all about roads, rail, ports, as important as they are. So as long as we don't get carried away with that and say, well, all recurrent expenditure is bad, and all capital expenditure is good because you can have bad capital expenditure as well. If it's on a dud project, a white elephant, you mm. know, it's not going to have the economic return. It doesn't make it good just because yeah. it's an investment. So it's a little more complicated than it's been put. Yeah, it sort of seems as though that the good debt, uh, big infrastructure projects, rail, bridges, um, train lines, and then you have the bad debt, which always comes across to me as if it's all of Labor's strong points, you know, Medicare, well, welfare payments. I'm sure that's how he'd love to set it up, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, it's sort yeah. of like, but that from from a purely political perspective, that's what it looks like. It's that he's labelled all the stuff that Labor do well when it, when when they get polled as bad debt, hmm. and all the stuff that the Liberals potentially do do well, which is you know, nation building. As yeah, but except they debt. don't do it that well. Yeah. I mean, because we when we're in office, we we lifted Australia's infrastructure spending from 20th to first now, and it's dipped back since then. And there's not they're not really building anything substantial as we speak, other than things which were legacies of the previous government. Um, they've got some things in the, you know, on the pipeline, and that's great, but we haven't actually seen anything substantive being started by this government. Let's take a step back and talk about Chris Bowen. Who is Chris Bowen for our listeners? Because I, I would love to hear how you explain to yourself to someone who might not have known who you, you are before. 
Yeah, okay. So um, I've been in Parliament now for 13 years. Uh, I grew up in Western Sydney in a place called Smithfield. I still live there. Um, went to the local public schools, uh, took myself off to university, got an economics degree, and then later have studied postgraduate as well, but got an economics degree at the University of Sydney. And um, now I'm a dad of two kids, uh, 12 and 9, and my wife and I and the kids, uh, Grace and Max, live in Smithfield. And, uh, yeah, I, I've become the shadow treasurer. Um, of course, I'm an economist by trade, and it's my it's my thing. It's my You wrote stick. a book about thing. treasurers, actually. I did, yeah. Famously wrote a book about treasurers. Do you have Is it one? that famous, really? Well, I think it's known for... Um, it definitely comes up a lot in Parliament. Talking about um, who you are, you bring up Smithfield, and you're obviously a very proud member. Um, a former Labor leader actually appeared in your electorate mm. last week, um, Mark Latham. He's with his new fandangled media company, and he questioned a bunch of your um, your constituents, and he made the point that a lot of them don't speak English, and he said this to um, the local paper, Mr. Bowen is the worst a moral coward and a political sellout because I think something to do with the fact that multiculturalism has failed Australia. What was your reaction to that? Yeah, that that was all a bit weird. Um, It was very weird. Most things with Mark Latham (laughs) are Exactly. I've got to be honest and and say my first inclination was just to ignore him because he's after the attention. Yes. You know, he's just attention-seeking. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to bother with you. Then I think, well, hang on. I don't care about the attack on me, but the attack on my community is a bit rich. Uh, so it has made me angry. Um, so I don't mind you tell, don't mind telling you that you know it's it's just really insulting what he said. Now a few points: one, every new ethnic community is put up with this. Every new ethnic community. Italians didn't speak English when they first came to Australia. Poles, Greeks, you know the the people from the former Yugoslavia. I mean they worked hard, and they worked their guts out, and their kids have done well at school. And the same with the Vietnamese in the eighties. Um, who now, you know, top the HSC, you know, in, in, in subjects. I mean, their parents put up with the insults about not speaking English. And now you've got Mark Latham who comes out and shoves a microphone in your face and says, I want to talk to you. And these people, poor people, have got no idea who this joker is. And, um, you know, their English might not be perfect, but they certainly don't feel comfortable doing a TV interview with somebody who's just accosted them in the street. Uh, so it's all pretty silly, really. And... Well, he started this new website. I suppose he can't sack himself. He's been sacked from everywhere <laughs> else. So good luck to him if that's what he feels he wants to do. But don't attack good, hard-working communities as you go through it. And, yeah, newsflash, if you're a refugee from war-torn Syria, you might not speak English as soon as you get here. That's true. Well, you know, if that's the best you can do is to pick on refugees and recent migrants in a, to Australia, Mark Latham, um, that says more about you than it does about them because they're, they're, they're going to be great Australians and they'll contribute a lot, which is more than you can say for Mark Latham's productivity rate in recent months and years. Yeah, I sort of feel as though whenever we talk about Mark Latham, we've already spoken about him too much. So let's move on anyway. Um, housing affordability is really an issue that gins up a lot of uh, young people, probably people who listen to this podcast. And I think that Labor has really led with the chin uh, when it comes to this issue. You guys announced a strong package last year about negative gearing and and bringing um, some curtailments to the um, capital gains discount. You announced more policies last week. Um, Can you just talk us through a few of them? I mean, things like SMSFs, they must really, like when when I even read the word SMSF, I start thinking, what the hell am I I thinking about? So can you just sort of like walk us through, what are you proposing to do with things like SMSFs and especially things around um, vacancy taxes as well? I think think our audience would be interested to 
sort of have it explained to yeah, me. Yeah, happy to, Mark. But, but first, can we just step back a bit and yep. just identify the problem? All right, because housing affordability is actually a crisis. And it's not a word I, you know, a lot of, some politicians use the word crisis every six minutes, but mm. I, don't, I only like to use it when I think it really is a crisis. This is really serious, crazy stuff. And for young people in particular, it is impossible to break into some housing markets in Australia, particularly Sydney, Melbourne, but not just Sydney and Melbourne. And it's been getting worse. I mean, the average house price in Sydney is now 12 times the average income. Mm. And it was not that a few decades ago. And you got investor rates, which are now 50% of purchases, and first, which is a record high, and first homeowner rates, which are at 13%, which is a record low, and there's a link. Investors are buying more and more. So that's why we, as you said, announced the negative gearing policy. Negative gearing is a tax break for property investment. Nothing wrong with investing in property, but do you really need a tax break or the most generous tax break in the world, which is what we have in Australia, when we've got young people in particular, there's an intergenerational equity issue. Young people have a right to the housing market and they're being locked out. That's why we're... We took the big step to do negative gearing reform. That was seen as the sort of third rail. And, and, and Labor's policy is that it's, you would still allow ne- yep. uh, negative gearing, but just on new properties. That's right, because so we need to lift supply. We need more houses being yep. built. So if you say, we'll give you the tax break, but you've got to work with us. You've got to supply something new mm. to the housing market. Everybody wins. And then what we did last week was say, well, this has been our policy. It's stay, it, it, we confirm it's our policy, but we recognise even more needs to be done. Now, each of the measures just in and of themselves aren't, aren't wool beaters, but you add them up and we're going through dealing with all the issues. So take self-managed super or SMSFs, yep. self-managed super funds. Now, John Howard changed the rules so they can borrow. Now, everybody's got super, or every, you know, hopefully... Every working work, person, Every yep. working person has super. Now, when you get a fair bit of super, some people like to take it out of their fund. You might be in Australian super or AMP. And you take it out of the big fund and run it yourself. Again, you can do that. But if you're in that sort of fund, you can borrow. Now, that's really not what superannuation was meant for, to go out borrowing. Now, it's only a small part of the market, about 4% of the housing, of the investors. But it's growing exponentially. It's growing at this massive rate that more and more people are taking their money out of either industry or retail funds, putting it in self-managed and then borrowing. And that's a risk to stability because they're, they're borrowing in their super when really super is meant to be growing. And it's one of the factors, a smaller factor, in the explosion in house prices because people are, are using their SMSFs then to invest. So we say, no, enough's enough. This was recommended to stop by David Murray in his financial systems inquiry, which the Liberals set up. They've, they refused to act on it. Uh, we say, well, actually, no, this has got to give. So that's just one of the things. The other thing we said is, well, foreign investors, again, this is not the heart of the problem. You know, foreign investment isn't causing this problem, but it's one of the factors. Again, it's a pretty small proportion of the market, but it's growing really quickly. We're a great place to buy property, right? Mm. So more, more and more foreigners are doing it. So we'll double the foreign investment fees. And what we've said so is... That's so say like a, a Chinese investor yep. um, wants to buy a house that's over a million dollars. They actually have to apply to um, get the house. You've doubled the application fees. So double the application fees. It goes $10,000 to $20,000. Yeah, there's, it goes $5,000, and then like a t- 20, 21 yep. or something like that. And then we've doubled all of those. And then we've doubled the penalties for breaking the law too because some people buy and don't report... Mm-hmm. And if we catch them, we'll double the penalties. And the other thing we've said is we want to have a vacant properties tax because some some people buy and then just leave it vacant, not just foreign investors, others. Now, I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that, yeah. I suspect. But some people do it. But it's really adding to the problem. That's a state tax. We want it to stay a state tax, but we want to see it You want to go to COAG and you want to yeah, see if exactly. you can make that a flat thing across the country. Exactly. Um, 
the idea of all of these, I mean, you're essentially pushing a whole bunch of levers at the same time to sort of mitigate the crisis, as you're saying. Are you expecting then, if Labor were to come to power, that you want to see house prices drop? Well, I, what we want to see is the increases um, have the heat come out of them. Right. right. Because it's growing at the moment, like Sydney last year, 19%. As I said, just crazy stuff. Mm. Can't keep growing at 19%. I mean, where's it going to end? But if it um, doesn't grow at 19%, say, what do you hope that it grows at? Well, you still hope that, I'm guessing you're, you're one of those people from the Labor side that still want to see houses, house prices grow. Well, what we want to see is a stable system. We don't want to see a housing crash, right? And yes, sure, if you had house prices crash, more people could afford them, but it's still going to create a lot of instability in the economy and nobody's really going to win. So we're happy um, to see a stable housing market, um, but... The current sorts of increases we're seeing just aren't fair. They're crazy. Now, I don't believe in sitting in Canberra and writing, you know, house prices next year shall rise by, you know, 6%. You know, that's not how the market works. Mm. But we get the policy settings right to try and take some of the heat out of the market just to give first home buyers in particular a more level playing field. And it's also about not just the house price but the composition mm. of, the, of the buyers. You know, house, houses are going to be sold, but... On a Saturday or a Sunday at the auctions, these investors are turning up. Again, good luck to them. They're complying with the rules. They're not doing anything wrong. But we've got to change the rules because they're turning up to buy their fourth, fifth, sixth house and getting a tax break, big tax break to do it. And there's people who are in good jobs, you know, earning good money, but just look at the deposits and look at the, the house prices and think, I'm just never going to get into this. And they get no support. Let's take a quick pause from Chris Bowen to bring back everyone's favourite segment Gallery Whispers Gallery Whispers where we whisper gossip about politics what's your first Gallery Whisper Mark do you know who Labour member for Jellybrand is yes it's Tim Watts Tim Watts Tim Watts is a young Labour up-and-comer. He went and did a degree at Duke University before he came to Parliament. While he was at Duke University in America, it was the campus that they used to shoot the television program Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek. While Tim, one morning, was walking to class after a a heavy snowstorm. He was wearing an Australian tracksuit, so like a John Howard style green and gold Australiana tracksuit. And he walked past one of the stars of Dawson's Creek, Katie Holmes. And he said to Katie, he wanted to pick her up. He was like, oh, I gotta have a crack. So he was like, what? so he was like, oh my God. hey, how you doing? Or something. And she, <laughs> She laughed in his face and walked away. <laughs> so, wait, Tim Watts got shut down by Katie Holmes yes. on the set of Dawson's Creek. At Duke University, Gallery Whispers. That's outrageous, Gallery out whispers. of control. Gallery okay. Whispers. Uh, people who are on Twitter may know that there is a at Prime Minister Paul Keating Twitter account, and I hate it so much. It's so bad because it tricks people into thinking that Paul Keating is on Twitter. And Paul Keating is not on Twitter. Anyway, I know that Paul Keating got approached by the Twitter account. 
and they were asking him about, hey, do you mind if we use your name and likeness to be on Twitter? And Paul Keating didn't answer. He just ignored him. So I can't believe that uh, Paul Keating not just has so many things better to do to not being on Twitter, he just didn't even answer correspondence from his Twitter account likeness. Gallery whispers. Gallery whispers. Um, Mark, you know how yes. they're going to put a fence up around Parliament House? Yes. Well, they haven't done it yet, and the front lines are frequently um, occupied with people who sunbathe or have picnics or do things on them. Well, one unnamed journalist was pinged incorrectly while sunbathing topless on the front lawns the other day he was lying down and he was wearing salmon colored shorts and out of nowhere no top salmon colored shorts and out of nowhere a swarm of parliament house security (laughs) surrounded him and said into a mic into their into their um uh, what do you call them uh walkie talkies stand down that's a negative he's fully clothed <laughs> so the parliament house security thought that this journalist <clears throat> was nude sunbathing on the parliament house lawns because he was Gallery wearing whispers. salmon colored shorts and all these people were gonna swarm i don't know what they were gonna do when they swarmed him <laughs> but anyway they apologized Well, I think it's actually quite outrageous that I didn't even know the story about Tim Watts being <laughs> shut down by Katie Holmes. <laughs> I what was the character's that. name in Dawson's Creek? Uh, Joey. Joey. Yeah. Joey. Yeah. Dawson, I really Joey, fancied Pacey, myself Jim. as a yeah. I really fancied myself as a Pacey growing up. I was like, oh, like you know, you're always trying to say which one of the cast you are. I was like, oh yeah, I'm Pacey. I'm like, I'm like Joshua Jackson. That's you sure I'm you're like. not more of a, I'm, you're not more of a Nate Archibald from Gossip Girl. <laughs> or of a, actually... a, a, a Seth Cohen from the OC. I'm concerned that you know the full names of all the characters from all these sitcoms. As if you don't. I, I always don't I always wanted to be Seth. I mean, Seth on the OC was what every nerdy guy of my generation wanted to grow up to be. Because you always because you got Summer and you had Anna and you had these two beautiful women competing for your affection. Yeah. And who Seth, did you who did and, you want to be? Seth and Seth Cohen. Uh, uh, who did I want to be? Ruth Bader Ginsburg, obviously. <laughs> you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> from the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah that famous TV character. Um, you know, the one, the one Hollywood story we haven't, we should mention really quickly is that yeah. Amber Heard, it's been revealed in the last week, is dating Elon Musk. And I really feel like Australian politics had something to do with bringing those two together. He, <laughs> he wants to build our energy farms. She illegally brings she, in dogs. <laughs> yep. And she had to apologize to Australia and said it was a beautiful land. Uh, a beautiful island. Oh, my God. Beautiful what, island. A, what a great time. Okay, let's get back to Chris Bowen. The Labor Party has really shifted in, in recent, I guess, decades to become one of a professionalized Labor Party. You've got a lot of lawyers, you've got a lot of economists like yourself, you've got a lot of consultants. Do you think that the Labor Party itself sometimes struggles with actually trying to recruit 
workers into the party instead of just professionalized center left figures that sort of float around the media think tank world i kind of feel as though i guess i'm talking about spivs you know is the labor party full of spivs now uh no but that's not to say you're not onto something (laughs) you know yes and no is my answer Mm. to the first part of your question and i think partly this is the labor party being a victim of our own success because by that i mean we wanted to create a society where a working class kid can be whatever they want to be and we haven't got there yet but we've made a lot of progress. So take, for example, Ben Shifley, who was Prime Minister mm. uh, at the end of the war and the post-war years. He was a train, a locomotive driver, so, um, grandson of a blacksmith. You know, he couldn't get more working class. And that's what the Labor Party caucus used to be made up of. But these days, if Ben Shifley was born today, he's a smart kid. He's not going to be a, 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 that. He's going to go to uni, right? He's gonna, he might be an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor. You know? He's still probably going to be a Labor man. You know, he's still probably he might want to get into Parliament, but he's going to have a very different life experience. So take my, my take me for example. You know, my dad was a shift worker at the NRMA. My mum was a childcare worker. You know, I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm working class. Yes, I've been to uni. I've been given great opportunities. Um, I've you know, first in my family to go to university. I've been I'm, like many people in these generations, very very lucky. Um, but I haven't forgotten where I've come from. And, um, but there's still, I guess, I mean, you're trying to frame it as the fact that you're still getting those kids coming through, but there's still a lack of the blue-collar workers that are probably making up the membership of the party. There's some of that. There's still- some of that. We do have some. We've got, you know, Glenn Stoll, who's a truck driver, who's mm. a senator. There's, there's other examples. We've got small business people. It's not just all political apparatchiks who've gone into politics, but I do accept there's a lot of them, mm. a lot mm. of us. Mm. You know, I don't exclude myself. But it's also about our broader experience. It's about where you've come from. It's also about what else you do. I mean, um, Dennis Healy, who was a, a UK politician, who died recently, um, very old, very elderly man, but he was a very powerful, prominent politician in the 70s and 80s. He called it hinterland. He said a politician's got to have a hinterland. By that he meant not just what you do every day in politics, but what you think about, what you read, what music you listen to, mm. what what your hobbies are. He was a poet. He was, you know, um, you, there's more to a politician than just what's on the technical CV about, well, you know, they're a political staffer. You know, um, we read, we write, we see, we, we go to movies, we, we do the whole thing. We have, bring up a family. Yeah. We have fights with our partner. You know, we're human beings. Um, and the important thing is to stay in touch with the real world. Yes, more and more politicians have been to university, but I think that's, by and large, um, a symptom of the change in society where we're much more mobile, um, many more opportunities for people than there were 40, 50 years ago. A lot of those um, people that were being picked off by Pauline Hanson, especially in, say, the Hunter in New South Wales, were Labor voters, actually going from Labor and voting One Nation. we I was talking to one Liberal campaigner up there and they said that they would be voting lower house Labor, upper house One Nation. Is that a fear for you, um, who is a leader of the Labor Party now, that you're actually facing um, the the fact that you've got, you know, traditional Labor voters who are who are throwing their votes to Pauline Hanson because that's more of a hope than what yeah, the Labor Party uh, represents. It really goes back to what you were talking about before. I mean, Pauline Hanson is a symbol or an example of the rise of populism, um, which is a simple answer. Hey, you're hurting. I've got a simple answer. It's trade or it's migrants, you know, who've made your life more difficult. Actually, it's not, it's not trade and it's not migrants. But it's a simple answer. Now, the people who might be attracted to vote for her aren't racist. They're not. Um, they don't necessarily agree with everything she says, but 
hey, there's somebody who knows I'm hurting. And so that's a challenge for both major parties to say we get it. And that's why I talk about, yeah, growth's important, but the growth's not being evenly spread at the moment. You know, half the jobs created in Australia in the last decade have been created here where we're sitting. You and I are sitting in the middle of Sydney CBD, Mm, right? mm. Um, Half the jobs created in Australia in the last 10 years have been within two kilometres of where we're sitting or the centre of Melbourne. Half of them in in a, like, four-square-kilometre radius. Um, Central Queensland, Tasmania, South Australia, now Western Australia, parts of Western Sydney, Western suburbs of Melbourne, doing it tough. And so people are saying, hey, I'm hurting. Now, the challenge for us is to say, yep, we get it. But it's more than getting it. It's providing the policies that that provide um, a way forward, but saying to them as well, hey, listen, Mm -hmm. some of our answers are more complicated. Some of our answers might be harder to explain than stopping all migration or um, banning Muslims or stopping trade or getting rid of free trade agreements. But those things aren't going to help you. Then they're not going to solve your problem. So, so the challenge for you is to is to not fall into the simple answer category, right? So yep. you go to those areas, the Hunter, Central Queensland, and you want to be able to tell those voters that we feel your pain. But what is the Labor Party? What is the Labor Party doing to change that message? Then, well, what we're doing is it a th- is it around things like trade? Is it being skeptical about things like the TPP and trying to be um, railing against four five sevens? Not not entirely. I mean, we want say four five sevens, for example, they play a role. I mean, they don't call them four five sevens anymore. In a, you yeah, know, in a they're going to be changed. <laughs> in a major reform, they change yeah. the name of them. But, you know, um, they've, got, they've got to play a role. But, hey, if the system's broken, we'll call it out. You know, if it's not being used to fix genuine skill shortages in the economy, if it is being used to try and undercut wages, it should be called out. And we did call it out. And, yeah, that is a concern for some people, and rightly. Mm. Again, you've got to make sure you don't have an unintended consequence. You've got to design your policy carefully. But we've done that, and we'll continue to have more to say about it. But So that's part of it. Um, it's partly about um, making sure that the system's working for people with access to housing, with a fair tax system, and making sure there's not just our policies, but we're talking about them and we're making sure people realise that we know that Australia's had 26 years of uninterrupted economic growth. That's an extraordinary achievement. That is very rare. It's by far the longest period in our nation's history. And it's, you know, the second longest period of any developed country in the history of the world. But not everybody's feeling it. Mm. You know, as the alternative treasurer, I don't. I think it's important not just to be stuck in Sydney and Melbourne. I go to Central Queensland. I go to South Australia. I talk to people in the suburbs, and they're not feeling that growth. So, so, so to go to that, and that's my last question about regional unemployment. I think it's a real issue, especially around young people. They're all feeling as though they get to the age of. 20, 21, 22, there's no jobs. So they move to Sydney or Melbourne because that's the only place that has a job. You know, you've got places like 20% of unemployment in the Hunter, 17% in Melbourne's West, 20% in parts of Tasmania. What can Labor do to make sure that jobs stay in those areas? Well, I think there's a number of things. And again, we're going to announce some more policy around skills, around innovation, um, around making sure that I mean, young people in those areas, people, people live in those areas and there are jobs in those areas and sometimes, but the, the connection's not there mm. with the skills that, that they've been given through our training system and the skills that their employers need, um, for example. Um, and infrastructure can play a role. If you, if you build a good infrastructure project in a regional area, that can have a massive role for that economy. Um, you've got to bear that in mind in your economic policy making as well. Thank you so much, Chris Bowen. And I just have one final thing to ask. Are you bringing the beard back? No, no. See, because this the is, beard was, it played. Uh, well, people talked about the beard. I know. Well, it's the most controversial thing I've ever done <laughs> is grow the beard 
And the second most controversial thing I've ever done is shave it off. <laughs> and it was really interesting because I, I sort of grew up by accident. Like many Aussie blokes, I didn't shave at Christmas. And my wife said she liked it. So I thought, oh, Because you get the gingy beard. You yeah, I've got a bit people. of ginger. Yeah, I do have you a bit of ginger. A bit of ranger in the beard. That's right. And um, um, anyway, so I... Um, Kept it for a little bit. Would I, you be the first treasurer to have a beard? I would be, the, I think, the first treasurer since 1914 to have had a Who's beard. Who's counting? Yeah, that's Who right. would actually know? But I mean, it was a serious beard back in those days, you know, the yeah, long, like, grey, like flowing. Yeah, beards. exactly, exactly. And sorry, I should say the, the name of the podcast is Is It On, which is pertaining to the fact that in Australian politics, it always feels like there's a yeah. leadership change around the corner. Is it on in the Labor Party? No, but it's so on in the Liberal Party. <laughs> Why do you think it, that? Ah, uh, Turnbull's, Turnbull's gone, I think. Do you have a do you have a date at which you would think that? Uh, I think the date that Julie Bishop and Peter Dutton sit down and agree on who's going to be leader and who's going to be deputy leader. That's when it's all over. It's certainly on. It's absolutely on in the Liberal Party. No question. Thank you so you heard much. Heard it here first. Fun. It's been fun. Thanks, Mark. I like big woman. I like big woman. Now, Mark, when Chris Bowen. Sebo was leaving uh, our office after that interview. Did I hear him say to you that he didn't get to tell all the jokes that he'd prepared? Yeah, apparently Chris Bond walked into the BuzzFeed office being like, I'm ready for jokey me joke time. Um, and then we started asking questions about uh, SMSFs and housing affordability, negative gearing and uh, Labor Party having too many spivs in it. And he was like, well, I, I came here to tell you jokes. Chris Bond, potentially future prime minister, Apparently, he's got jokes in his arsenal, and they're yet to be seen, um, and I'm excited for it. Excellent. Oration is a powerful skill. Okay, well, now it's time to pick some stories out of the bin and wipe the juices off in Bin Juice. Uh, these are a couple of stories that we didn't think got enough attention this week. Mark, what have you got for Bin Juice? Well, my Bin Juice is about Tony Abbott, and no one would accuse Tony Abbott of getting not enough coverage, but I think it's interesting to bring up because in the background of this whole entire budget week next week, I mean, the focus should be on the uh, economic performance of the government. But in the background, there'll be the looming spooky specter of Tony Abbott because not only is he a feature on Sky News constantly and on 2GB now, the radio station, but you just know that uh, when a controversial measure will pop up, which it surely will, Malcolm Turnbull will probably cut one of the programs that Tony Abbott brought up, you know that he's going to be out there on the front foot and there's always microphones that follow. And I want to talk about it because... Malcolm Turnbull has a Tony Abbott problem. And we've known that forever. Like, we've known that for the first 20 months of Malcolm Turnbull's prime ministership. But this week, I thought it was interesting because Miranda Devine in the Daily Telegraph wrote this kind of bizarre piece about how Malcolm Turnbull could solve his Abbott problem. Now, it was suggesting that maybe old Tony should be Australia's next governor general. So that's the Queen's representative in Australia. That's absurd. Like, when Peter Cosgrove stands down next year, as if Malcolm Turnbull is going to be like, yeah, Tony Abbott should be it. But on the same day that this piece came out, the Australian's John Lyons wrote a piece about the Abbott problem. And he said that Tony should actually be considered for defence 
Minister. Maurice Payne, who's the current Defence Minister of Australia, has been on the nose a little bit. She hasn't really been performing strongly in the portfolio, according to people who know this sort of thing. Yeah, I, now, I, if, yeah. I don't think it's that she's not uh, strongly performing in the portfolio, but that, uh, you know, she's a woman and, uh, you know, <laughs> she's not Tony Abbott. Now, if Tony Abbott were to become a Defence Minister, I think it, it goes to my whole reboot theory of Australian politics that we're currently living in this, like, bizarre, awful replay of Labor's Rudd and Gillard years. If you remember in 2012, Julia Gillard, then Prime Minister, she was so freaking frustrated about Kevin Rudd being a bastard behind her back and all the interruptions that were caused by him that she said, look, Kevin, you can be Foreign Minister. And it was all about this. You keep your enemies close and you want to piss out of the tent, not piss into the tent, blah, blah, blah. I think it'll be interesting to see how Turnbull manages this Abbott issue in the next couple of weeks because I think it's going to set the tone for the Malcolm-Tony relationship over the course of the rest of the government. So, yeah. Alice, that's my binge juice. Yeah, What's I, your I binge juice You know week? what? I would just say quickly that I reckon that um, not only does Malcolm have a Tony problem, I think that Australia has an XPM problem. Um, I think that's and, a good call. Because well, we don't know what to do with prime ministers after they leave. Like in most other countries... They, they quit politics. But, you know, in Australia, Kevin Rudd hung around, Tony Abbott's hanging around, um, and we just don't know what to do with them. They go on the backbench and they, they kind of end up just being dis- disruptive and they, they really should go, I think. I, I they, think that they should resign. I think, it, I think, yeah, yeah. I, think you, I think if you're rolled as a prime minister or you resign as prime minister, don't stay in government. Yeah. Julia Gillard did this when she was rolled the rolled and I think that David Cameron in the UK was a great example. He stepped down in the wake of Brexit. Theresa yeah. May was... Uh, named as the new Prime Minister. And pretty much very soon after, David Cameron was like, look, I'm a very young guy, I could hang around in politics, but I'm going to be a massive distraction for Theresa May going forward. Absolutely. I'm going to resign. And I think that was it was such a good move. And I think that it should be the David Cameron model yeah. for all Prime Ministers who leave the office. Yeah, well, even former Treasurer Joe Hockey, when, they, when, when he and Tony Abbott were rolled out of government... He left straight away. So, so Tony could have left as well. That was a good move. Yeah. I think the move. only thing about Governor General, I think it's quite funny because uh, as a Governor General, you're not allowed to give political opinions. I think Tony would really struggle with that. But my, yeah. sol- my, my solution would be if I was Malcolm Turnbull, no offence to Dan Tan, but I'd give Tony Abbott vet affairs, veterans affairs. I don't think you need to give him defence. I think you give him veterans affairs. I think that fits his personality and his interests to perfection. And it's also a portfolio. It's not going to cause you a lot of trouble. Maybe you can get in some fights about Long Tan and that's about it. Anyway. Or, or or Indigenous Affairs. The Indigenous Affairs Minister portfolio could could well be something he he's can't, also he can't, been keeping he can't, his eye on. He, he can't take Indigenous Affairs. Indigenous Affairs is earmarked for a national. Only nationals yeah. are allowed to be Indigenous Affairs Ministers. So unless they rewrote the, um, the deal between the Libs and the Nats. Um, I think anything to solve this issue, and I think that anything. there's uh, there's there, there is a momentum now to bring Tony into cabinet, and it's growing louder and louder. So yeah, even there's, from a, him there's himself, also a very you know, loud momentum to roll sitting members in the Liberal Party at the moment. So let's uh, let's see which let's which end it. of the scale he'll it. end up. One, but what's watch. your bin juice? What's the one thing in the bin that you probably didn't get too many views on our website that you think needs a second run? Okay, well. Um, We've talked a lot on the podcast about or what's happening with the Centrelink robo debt 
uh, Robo Debt Calls, um, which is the uh, which is the automated debt recovery program Centrelink started last year to collect outstanding welfare debts from people, where they sent letters to people often out of the blue saying you owe this amount of money. Um, there's a Senate inquiry into that program at the moment because it was discovered that 20% of people that received these debt letters actually didn't owe anything to Centrelink and they were miscalculations. So we we found out that the department have been outsourcing debt collections to agencies who earn a commission based on the dollar amount they can recover from people and they don't have to pay the commission back if it turns out the debt amount was wrong. So if they get people to repay a debt they didn't owe, they still get to keep the commission. But we've also found out that the uh, debt recovery program has led to cases of domestic violence in Tasmania. Mission Australia, who who are a charity, um, told a Senate inquiry that they've heard of a number of cases of domestic violence rising out of people getting letters because their partners have said, oh, why do you owe this debt? You should have paid it. And it creates tension in the household. And sadly, some children have been neglected and it's led to domestic and family violence. It'll be interesting to see what happens. This Senate inquiry is going to go on and, you know, the program's pretty pretty bad and we're finding out a lot more bad things about it. So it's just a matter of waiting and seeing if what the government will end up doing, whether they'll take the recommendations and, and try and solve the problems or not. It's a wait yeah. and see. And I, it's a wait and see issue. And I think that, uh, once again, uh, the Bin Juice segment is serving its purpose by bringing forward an issue that doesn't get talked about much on the front pages, but is definitely something that is important. But Alice, yeah. I've written if, down and, in and, these and show it, notes. Oh, I was going to say just quickly. And if anyone you know needs to reach out and talk to anyone about anything, you can always call one eight hundred respect, or you can call Lifeline on thirteen eleven fourteen. Mm, you can. I've written down in these show notes towards the end of the show. Homework in all capitals. What's homework? Yes, Mark. I have set some budget homework for you. And for the beautiful people listening at home, I want everyone to watch the Hollow Men episode about the budget, which was called Rear Vision. Um, specifically, they uh, it's the night before the budget and they're trying to decide on what an impressive dollar amount sounds like. 100 billion. Uh-huh. <whistles> have we got 100 billion? I don't know. Have we got 100 billion? Don't need it. Don't need it. We just take 10 years of future estimates and roll it into the one announcement. And the reason that I want people to watch this is because I had dinner with someone who used to be a Treasury official the other night and they were telling me they remember the night before a budget, the Treasurer sitting there in the Treasury offices with a big pen just crossing Mm. things out saying, I'm only going to announce big numbers. Where are the big numbers? I want millions and millions and millions and billions. (laughs) So, um... You know, we've still got a few days before the budget. Maybe it's still time for Scott Morrison to be ruling things in and ruling things out. Yeah, and Amanda Yanucci, the guy who created Veep and Thick of It, was in the country last week. And I think that it's a testament to him that so often our bloody satire is closer to reality than so much <laughs> of the reporting around, around this. So thank you so much for the homework, Alice. I'm going to do that tonight. Excellent. I would like to say a big thank you to Nicholas. Uh, And also Nicola Harvey, Richard James, Peter Holmes, and the whole pod team. As per usual, we want you guys to get involved and tell us what you think we should be talking about. You can tweet me at Workman Alice. I will put up some pictures of the budget tree at Mark DeSteff. Go to buzzfeed.com slash is it on. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Please leave a rating and review. We love to hear what you guys think. Um, so, yep, this is our budget preview. We'll be back with a budget special next week. Um, but finally, Mark, hey, week before the budget, do you reckon it's on? No, I don't. 
I don't because everyone's too wrapped up and too worried about policy, which is a good thing. And all of the eyes will be towards Canberra and making sure that we don't just always see everything through the through the bloody viewer of leadership. Things can always be sometimes be about policy. And hopefully over the next seven to 14 days, that's what we're going to talk about. Woohoo! It's Bring not on. on the budget. It's not on. Yay! All right. Chat to you later. Bye. Bye.